This is Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Africans in the diaspora send a substantial portion of their salaries and wages back to their home countries in form of remittances. The World Bank says that despite the impact of the global pandemic, remittances to sub-Saharan Africa rose to $49 billion in 2021, following an 8.1% decline in the prior year. Put yourself in a shoe of the person who's actually sending the money. What are they sending the money for? Usually they're the support or the bread earner sometimes for these families. So usually when troubles hit, you tend to send more, not send less. That is David Mwachira, one of the founders of WirePay, a fintech that offers banking and money remittance services to African diaspora communities around the world. Africans in the diaspora often send money to their extended families families, relatives, their friends, and many others. The recipients use these resources for their daily needs, like buying food, paying for school fees for their children, or using it to support causes or initiatives that benefit them or their communities. In many African communities, it is often the expectation or the unspoken rule that when you quote-unquote make it, you have the responsibility to provide a hand up for those you left behind. I have a student who are sponsoring them for school. Mm. I have four, more than five, my mother's side. Mm. They expect that every year I have to send the school fees. Nadia is a Sudanese lawyer and journalist from Darfur, living and working in America. She says that there is more pressure on you when you are female. In some African countries, like South Africa, they have a colloquial term for it, often referring to it as a black tax. But the question we want to look at today on the show is not how much Africans remit to the continent, but rather we're interrogating if this form of sharing prosperity can be defined as a form of philanthropy in the same way as we have come to understand it in Western terms. But as always, let's hear from you. What do you have to say? Actually, it's once or twice a month, me receiving money. Or sending both ways, I should say. Yes, so if I make it in life, I would still love if I would send my, my relatives back home some money. At least they could make plans and budget for themselves, for themselves rather than me buying, buying them something and sending to them. They will still expect to get money from me. I send money to my relatives and friends whenever they need it. I don't know how many times in a month or a year the last time I received money from my relatives is when I was at school. I used to receive money in terms of fees and pocket money. I usually send money to my family and relatives once a month, and I don't really necessarily expect them to give back any money to me, so I hardly receive money from my relatives. And I just feel that once you've made it in life, once you've made it successfully, it's always a good gesture to always appreciate each and every single person that just stood by you, especially family. Thanks for providing your opinions on our topic today, and we want to welcome you if you're just joining us. On our show today, we are looking at the issue of remittances, the money that we send home to our extended families and friends to help buy food or pay for health costs, school fees, etc. 
In South Africa, they have a special term for these kinds of uh, transactions. They call it a black tax. In a country where the majority of the black population grapples with generational poverty, many families depend on a relative who has made it, often living in a city, or has had access to better education or employment. They depend on them to supplement or act as a primary source of income. Nadia Sami is in Johannesburg, South Africa. Nadia, welcome. Now, Nadia, in some countries, black tax is an axiom that states black people must work harder than their counterparts to achieve similar outcomes. But in South Africa, it's different. How do you explain it in South Africa? The reality is black tax is something many young African students and professionals are saddled with across the continent or wherever they may find themselves in the world. Picture the scenario. Tandi is young. She's just graduated from university, the first person in her family to do so. And she lands a great job. So life should be good and the money should be flowing, right? Wrong, because Tandi must still repay her student loan and she's now expected to start supporting her family. That entry-level salary of hers will now be stretched, so some of it reaches her parents and extended family members. And she'll also be told to contribute to the school fees of her younger siblings. On top of that, she needs to, of course, pay her own living expenses, food, transport costs, etc. It's a scenario playing out for millions of young people who don't have family wealth or inheritance to fall back on. Slindy Lechaba is a media professional in Johannesburg. She explains what black tax means to her. I think mostly because, you know, it's in the quest of trying to reverse the cycle of poverty so you are in, in in a family of people that have never seen tertiary schooling before so when you succeed they feel like they all have and you also feel like you know what it wasn't just me it was the extended family that assisted me so you feel like giving back in that way so because you know where we grow up it's like a collective effort so when you or rather when your money grows up you must pay back the money or give back you know so that's what black tax is all about this money uh, what has become known colloquially in south africa as black tax is necessary for the survival of families sometimes it comes in the form of a message from a relative saying they need money for bread milk or airtime or a family may have to take in an extended family member because there's no one else to care for that person it puts a lot of pressure on young people who are starting out in life who may otherwise have used this money towards a car or a first apartment or some travel now this is not a burden that all youth carry equally for example many young black south africans would say that their white friends can't relate to this this need this necessity to always send money home it's a concept that's quite foreign uh, to people who grew up privileged but it's such a reality and such a part of life uh, for for people who have emerged um, from the struggle who have emerged from an apartheid era that really really disenfranchised the black masses uh, and and so this 
inequality. When you look 20 years into uh, democracy in South Africa, 20 years odd into democracy in South Africa, that inequality still sits there, you know. It means that the, the black student always has to put in so much more to just appear to be socially on par with a white counterpart, for example. Every month I basically have to cater for my family who live in another province. I would uh, basically send money down for my mother just to support her and I would also send to my nephews as well. Reason being is that both parents aren't working and even if they work they don't always earn enough money. So I'm sending money to help them. Yes, I basically have to budget for it on a monthly basis. Well, a huge, not huge, large part of my salary goes to black tax. Like my mom expects, well, not really expects, but, you know, I give her because it makes me feel good. And then my sister just had a baby, so I find myself just, like, wanting to spend money on her. I just put her on my medical aid, black tax. Black tax, Jackson, call it what you will. It's a reality for so many people, for so many of our listeners, for you and me. One hopes that it's something this generation manages to address, that some equilibrium will come, that the inequalities of the past don't haunt us forever. And that, you know, it's not something we end up handing over to our children and them to their children. Thank you very much, Nadia Sami. That was Nadia Sami. She is in Johannesburg, South Africa. You're listening to Upfront on the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. At the start of the COVID-19 global pandemic, the World Bank and other international financial institutions projected a massive drop in remittances flowing to Africa. At the height of the pandemic, job losses and high unemployment rates in immigrant populations led to a decline in their ability to send money back home. That trend reversed in 2021, and according to the World Bank, remittances to sub-Saharan Africa not only returned to pre-pandemic levels, but also increased to around $49 billion. However, the cost of sending money back to Africa is still very high when compared to other regions of the world. And finding a solution to this problem has inspired a number of young African entrepreneurs like Hempstone Maroria and David Wachira. They are using a new innovative financial technology to create cheaper ways for migrants to send money back home. Um, so Wayape is bringing, you know, um, new opportunities for people living and working outside their home countries to be able to send money back home, um, majorly focused on the U.S. to Africa um, corridors. And beyond that, we are also unlocking financial opportunities by opening bank accounts um, for, you know, African immigrants that live within the USA and soon will be expanding to the U.K., um, Europe and other parts of Africa. Mm. Uh, Wachira, how, uh, you know, the last two years, almost one and a half years, we've been in a global pandemic, uh, lots of uh, unemployment, especially in the migrant community, the people who are sending remittances. How has that reflected in the, in the amount of money that is flowing onto the continent and how is that affecting your business? 
Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question because remittances are a big source of foreign direct investment uh, for the continent and particularly for Kenya. So you'll find that the expectation was during the pandemic remittances would dip just like everything else was dipping. Uh, but that has not been the case. Uh, largely, we're seeing that the remittances, particularly to these developing countries like Kenya, are what we call inelastic, in that they don't follow the cycle of the economy. And what typically happens is that put yourself in a shoe of the person who's actually sending them Money, what are they sending the money for? Usually they're the support or the bread earner sometimes for these families. So usually when troubles hit, you tend to send more, not send less. And so you're finding that over year on over turnover, 2019 uh, was, uh, we expected 2020 to be much lower compared to 2019. But in fact, the, the opposite was true. 2020 was much higher than 2019, even in the middle of a pandemic. And 2021 was much higher than 2020, despite the pandemic. Because mm, I've, I've thought that because of, you know, closures, a lot of unemployment. People were working less and able to have the disposable income to send back home. Yeah, people were indeed working less, uh, but you'll find that a lot of migrants, particularly from the Kenyan community, sometimes are professionals. So there was this work from home tendency. So you store a lot of people still working from there. Uh, on top of it, um, a lot of immigrants tend to be in the essential workers category. Uh, they either whether they're working for restaurants or uh, or grocery stores or so forth. So uh, they were still able to work and were uh, still able to get the resources that they typically got. On top of that, there was the aid that came in from the uh, both the Trump and the Biden administration, uh, the economic stimulus plan. And that allowed people to have a lot more uh, income that they typically had before, at least based on, on that. And they were able to send a lot of that back mm. home. So you still found you know, remittances going up. And how does WirePay differentiate itself from other existing players in this space? Sure. Um, so um, ideally, WirePay is building a new age in the digital banking and remittance services. And um, ideally, um, you know, we are looking beyond what, you know, conventional players in the industry are offering. And that's why we have embedded, you know, digital banking services to enable African immigrants not only to just use WirePay as a means of sending money back home, but with WirePay, they are able to actually open bank accounts, you know, get debit cards, open savings and check bank accounts at least within the USA um, so that over and above, you know, just sending money back home and remitting back money back home, they are able to also um, access other financial services. And this was driven by our research and interactions with our customers because the bulk majority of customers that live and work outside their home countries actually spend the bigger percentage of that money within the countries where they live in. You know, as an example, um, David, um, my co-founder here who works for the World Bank, while he sends a significant amount of money money back home, investing back home, the bulk majority of his money is actually spent within the USA. And, um, you know, that's how, you know, WirePay differentiated itself from the market by being able to create a model that not only gives people an opportunity to send money back home, but actually to be able to receive their salaries within the USA, mm -hmm. to be able to spend money using their debit cards that are issued, um, you know, once you open the WirePay bank account. And we've packed other embedded financial services. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been able to create a model that not only, um, you know, works best during remittances, but actually services the needs of immigrants, you know, in the countries where they live and work. Yeah. That was Hempstone Maroria and David Wachira. They're the founders of a startup fintech company, Wirepay. Border crossings.
Join host Larry London. Larry London. On Border Crossings, VOA's only worldwide music request hour. Every weekday at 1500 Universal. Tune in for the biggest hits and amazing artists. Win prizes and get the latest news from exclusive celebrity interviews. Send your requests to Facebook at VOA Larry London, Twitter at Border Crossings, or Instagram at Border Crossings VOA. Or call 202-619-2077 and have your favorite music played to the entire world. Don't miss Border Crossings every weekday at 1500 Universal, only on The Voice of America. You are listening to Upfront on The Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vungani. Nadia Taha is a Sudanese lawyer and journalist from Darfur. She's a colleague of mine here at The Voice of America. She joins me with Nabil Biajo, a colleague from South Sudan. I started off by asking Nadia if she feels more pressure as a woman that she is obligated to send money to her relatives back home. Nadia, thank you so much for joining us today in the studio. Thank you. You're welcome. Jackson. So, Nadia, you're from Sudan, specifically from the Darfur region. Yes. Um, you live here in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, are you expected by your relatives back home uh, to send money to them for upkeep? Of course. Actually, I've been doing this since I finished college, since 2010, since my first job. Everyone expecting me to send money back home, yeah. not just my family, the close family, even the extended family. Uh, for me, I'm coming from a, a tribe who, like, they really connected Nemat, so you can get someone, your father's cousin of the cousin cousin yeah. will call you. Have you have a big and, network. I have a big network, and mm. then they keep calling you to tell you, like, Do Nadia. Do you know many of these people? Do you I don't know all of them, but I know their last name. Yeah. We end them, like, uh, my last name is Mogure mm. or Taha, mm. and then they will come to me as guests they have. We, we share that grandfather. Yeah. And they tell me, how do you, if you tell them you don't know them, they will be angry. <laughs> like, because you left, you went to Washington, yeah. you, now you forgot your family, huh? <laughs> well, like, they tell you, you forgot and your they family. They make you feel guilty about it. They make me feel guilty. So whoever called me uh, said, yes, I know you. I know your family. So I'm going to send you some money. I have to send. I have to send. Well, what, what if you don't have a job? Like there are times when people don't have an income coming in, even though you live in America. Uh, we were talking about how in the last two and a half years during the pandemic, many African uh, migrants, just like many people, lost their jobs or their income levels uh, reduced. Where you still expected these expectations uh, for me even other american here like african-american here they live in washington dc if they lost their jobs they're okay because they they have themselves only mm-hmm. or maybe they have family house they can go and stay for me i have no way to live without jobs mm. like so you can't afford to be jobless no I, i'm not afford to be jobless i do two jobs sometimes by the way i just like i can't afford to stay without a job right, because right. I know that I have extended family. There's no, there there, there's no plan for B for you. I have a student who are sponsoring them for school. Mm. I have four, more than five, my mother's side. Mm. They expect that every year I have to send the school fees, and I encourage them to go to school. Mm. I, like that one, that that my in my shoulder. Is the pressure more on you because you're a woman? Is there more pressure for female immigrants to to send money back home? That my dad is still telling me until you get married and have kids. 
people they will still keep asking because they know that you don't have anyone responsible so they will keep asking mm-hmm. for me i have my other brother live in the united states but he's not having that pressure like i have especially from my mother's side mm-hmm. i have people who live in idp scams in darfur i have people who live in refugee scams in chat and i have to send all of them mm-hmm. equally my mother's side and sometimes my dad's side my dad's side is not like that but my mother's side i have to because um they actually if you come just to think back then when i was a student they were helping me a lot mm-hmm. so even if i said i'm not going to send money i keep remember For me Jackson if you're going they, to school they help you they help you yeah. like I like before I go to university I have to leave, go to my grandmother's house my aunties one by one they have to give me money cover all year so now I'm paying back you're paying back <laughs> in essence you're paying back your student loans yeah that's that's my student loan yeah I don't have a student loan here in US yeah. but my student back is <laughs> you're student back. yeah <laughs> you're right so you you're saying that you cannot afford to to not have a job matter of fact you can never you you even have to take on a second job so so you can have the disposable income to send back home yeah no matter after you like, pay your bills here yeah after i pay my bills here i can't afford it even if i'm i have a job mm. and i have a pressure of the job i feel like sometime i guess before i go to bed like tomorrow i go and i resign in the morning i keep remember all my debts back home <laughs> i said no nah, nadia you can't afford you can't it. afford yeah. not to, to have a job no no i have to work yeah i have to work wow nadia thank you so much for sharing your experience you're welcome jackson front of the voice of america i'm jackson vungani i was just chatting with uh, nadia taha on her experience as a member of the african diaspora and her obligation to help out her family back home nabil biaja joins me next he's from south sudan i wanted to find out what his duty is when it comes to sending money back home to help out with the daily needs and expenses of his wider family yes and uh, friends uh friends uh who are in need uh sometimes borrow but uh, family of course this is just uh, gifts you send mm. the money to support them without any expectations of being paid back <laughs> but they are they is the are there expectations on their side that you'll be sending the money yes they are so they, w- what is w- what is that expectation predicated upon is it cultural that because you made it uh you know as part of your culture that you know since you you're you're doing well and you're receiving a salary you're working that you should send money you should help out yes. you're obliged obligated to the, there is both um a sense of obligation uh, because of the way we were raised if you're doing well or even perceived to be doing well and they're received. You don't have necessarily to be doing well. Do you and feel any kind of pressure to actually send the money or is it something that comes naturally to you? I do feel the pressure when uh the, when I'm being pushed a little bit. Let's say it's not a good month. Uh, I have had uh, lots un- of bills to yeah, pay. Yeah, unexpected expenditures and stuff like that. Uh and then it's when you you can't even explain that to them. Uh, is you can't justify it and often i tell them when i'm pushed too hard like you know i live in an expensive country you know mm. the living cost is is really high here and i'm also 
you know, like when I first got here, like a year or or two in, I wanted to to set myself up, you know, mm. find a nice place, maybe get have a car, some savings, and, you know, and stuff like that, mm. having savings. But for them, all of that is luxury, mm. and they're they're in need. Yeah. We have immediate needs right now, exactly. and you are the ones going to provide. Exactly. Now, before you left. Did they ever tell you that we'll be asking for the money, that you'll be expected to be sending money back home? Or is that something that when you got here, they started asking for money? They don't say directly, but the way they talk about how happy they are that you're going away, you know, <laughs> it's implied, you know, that uh, they're going to get something yeah, out of you yeah. being abroad, doing well, traveling the world. Shared prosperity like about to happen. Yeah, they don't <laughs> tell you directly we expect this money, this much from you each month, but mm. it's implied. It's implied. So is there a fix? By, just if, by is, the is virtual there... being out. Yeah, know. yeah. Where do you think this comes from, though, in the the the, the f- the the idea or the perception that because you're in the US mm. that somehow you're doing really well and you have much more disposable income to to share with others because I don't get that for you know much more well of relatives who live in the country yes. Uh, yes. do not have the same type of pressure or uh, from from you know relatives who uh, expecting the, yeah. the handout yeah. every month. Yeah. I think uh, partly because just the West in general, especially the U.S., is perceived as, you know, a land of abundance. Like, there is more here. Mm. There is more money. And and also, uh, they know you're earning your, you know, whatever salary or income in, in a foreign currency. In, dor- in, in dollars. In the U.S. Yeah. yeah. And that immediately makes you better off you know, than most of them. Also, I think I would like to add uh, one element that contributes to this, which is maybe lack of exposure. If mm. you have people who have traveled, who have lived, you know, in Europe, in the U.S., uh, I, I can't... They know the struggle. Yeah, they know the struggle, you know, mm. and that living here is expensive and you have to plan and budget and, you know, they they... I expect them to be more reasonable. Mm. Now, we've been in a pandemic for almost three years now. Uh, Obviously, so many members of the African diaspora community suffered along with everybody else uh, from, you know, unemployment, the shutdowns or the lockdowns. There was kind of, you know, an economic downturn. As much as we've suffered here in the U.S., I think, you know, back home, people have suffered even more. Do you feel pressure to send now that you understand that you know things are not well back home and also have have you received more requests for money because in the last two and a half years because people had not been working less economic activity on their side yes uh, actually both to 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 yes to both questions first of all we're in the business of covering news and you know we speak to people back home and you speak to relatives and you know family of course on a daily basis or weekly basis you clearly see, and Sudan and South Sudan, uh, out of you know all countries, uh, have been hit really hard. Uh, they they have internal local issues, but then these global, you know, waves uh, with the pandemic and and other issues, mm. uh, and then uh, and then they don't let you like sit with yourself and feel it. You feel it just by talking to them and all. And you feel the pressure. The despair, too, on their side. No, absolutely. Mm. Prices are going up. You know, people are struggling, living from hand to mouth. Uh, and, yeah, so mm. you feel more 
uh, pressure to send more, more often, mm. and to try to do your best. And I talked to a friend. He said, "You know what? Instead of sending like monthly remittances, why don't you uh, help them like s- set up uh, some income generating activities? Mm. Or let's say you you have a young cousin." who is a graduate, he has like a project in mind, a business idea, or, you know, uh, why don't you give, even if you have to give a big lump sum at, you know, one at once. Right, so they can and set then up their own business. This person is able to stand on their feet mm. and maybe help other people right, you know, right, around right. them instead of... Mm. Uh, I guess instead of giving a man fish, give yeah. show them how to fish. Exactly, right? exactly. Mm. When we talk about African philanthropy, we always are talking about Westerners sending money to, to Africa in either in form of uh, foreign direct investment or uh, development aid and all those things. Uh, but we don't count remittances as philanthropy. Yes. Uh, is that, do you believe remittances are a form of philanthropy? I think they qualify to fall under that category. Uh, but... Maybe because, you know, family support is so embedded in our culture, we're not, we're not able to see it mm-hmm. that way. Here in the West, it's easy to see it that way because, like, back home, the way we live, like, we don't live as individuals. You're part of a community. Uh, when someone's struggling, you know, you come to their aid. Uh, but then it's just something we do, you know. Uh, you don't step back and say, you know what, I'm doing a lot of philanthropy with charity, mm-hmm. or, you know. Uh, what you spend on your relatives, on your family, you don't even consider that charity. It's just, you know, yeah, your obligation. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's obligation and not <laughs> <Yeah>. philanthropy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nabil Biagio, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Upfront on The Voice of America. Many thanks to you, all our listeners, our guests, and correspondents from around the continent. For more current news and analysis, visit our website at voaafrica.com. You can also connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, on Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our videos. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. Africa.